This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. Our guest today on the podcast is Jeroen de Flander, who's one of the world's most influential thinkers on strategy execution. He's based out of Brussels, and for the past decade, he has been helping organizations figure out how to execute on their strategy so they can create competitive advantage and disrupt their customers. Jeroen de Flander is one of the Internal Consulting Group Global Thought Leaders, which is the reason why he's on today's podcast. Welcome, Jeroen. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a delight to have you on the show. You have written two books, Strategy Execution Heroes, about people that have actually done this. And you've written the book, The Execution Shortcut, which helps people drive their execution faster. Let's talk about Execution Heroes to begin with, and let's wrap up with Execution Shortcut. What is the secret to making sure that companies actually execute on their strategy? How do we do this? One of the key things people have to know is that strategy execution is a new business domain. Yeah. It's a little bit like in the 50s when you would say to somebody, talent development is important, people would start laughing. Or in the 80s when you would say digital, it's important, people would say, well, no, IT, that's, uh, that's not strategic. Today, at board level, you have somebody who is focusing on strategic IT and on strategic HR. Well, strategy execution is a little bit the same. Today, you still have a lot of leaders that would say, well, I come up with a strategy, but the execution, that's something I delegate to N minus two, three or four, while I'm focusing on uh, something very important. The next strategy, yeah. Yes, exactly. 
strategy execution is not a hype. It's a business domain. It's part of your leadership role. In strategy execution heroes, that was basically the main message and how you could incorporate that into your leadership role. Well, I think it's interesting that the title of the top officer of most organizations is the chief executive officer. Yes. And yet they have abdicated responsibility for execution. This is a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? It is. And you see, luckily, that organization starts to change. Big organizations, successful companies like Coca-Cola now have somebody focusing on execution on top level. And you also see it in business schools. About five years ago, there were only two business schools where you could discuss the topic we're discussing today, Mark. Um, it was Wharton in the U.S. and INSEAD in France. Today, I get pretty much every month a phone call from a business school pleading, can you please come over and teach our executives how to execute strategy? Because people start to realize that that's where you can make the big difference. Absolutely. A plan that hasn't been executed is nothing more than a wish. True. Nice PowerPoint. A nice PowerPoint. That's right. <laughs> Yet, isn't the chief operating officer's job to do the execution? Or is that a different role? It is a different role. Strategy execution is a very large domain that covers topics like how to set the best KPIs, but also how to communicate strategy. It covers cultural change. It's a very broad topic. And on average, research shows that pretty much every business domain is touched upon. So where the COO is mainly focusing on driving the operational business results, so it's mainly focusing on getting things done on the business side, the strategy delivery office or the strategy execution office should be focusing much more on, okay, how do we now put the best process in place to follow up strategy execution? How do we communicate our strategy? And it's basically looking at the different aspects from a different angle. From my viewpoint, the chief operations officer is all about running the operation as it's currently defined. And the chief execution officer is about implementing new changes to the operation so that we can be poised for where the money's going to be. Yeah, I think that's a very good summary. So with that in mind, we have one group of people, the operations officer that is driving consistency and stability and the other side driving change. And it's that balance that determines whether we're going to be executing on strategy or not. Yeah, it's on one hand, you have the pilot is flying the plane, that's the COO. And on the other hand, you have uh, some guys in the plane already coming up with a new engine, getting it ready. There is a newer version to take you to the next destination. It used to be a role that was not really recognized similar like IT or HR, but now more and more organizations start to realize that it's a specific role. It doesn't need to be a separate person. It could also be something you add to the role of the strategy director or the finance director you often see, or even a CEO when you enlarge the role into also looking towards the future. It's a specific skill set that you need. I call them muscle groups, specific muscle groups you need to develop in order to be successful. I agree with you that it could indeed be the same person, yet I have a bit of concern there because the brain set required to do implementation of change and transformation is different than the brain set that seeks to keep things consistent. True. In that particular case, we have to have an individual that's extremely flexible and comfortable in both of those brain roles. 
In your book, The Strategy Execution Heroes, where do you see the most powerful way of deploying this? Step number one is to create awareness about the importance of strategy execution. When I started out being on stage about 15 years ago, I mainly had people that had read the books from Bob Kaplan and Dave Norton on the balance scorecard and wanted to have more information about KPIs. Over time, it has evolved to CEOs that are now there to see, well, okay, instead of twitching our strategy for the 500th time, let's see how we can actually make sure that we uh, realize more of our strategy potential. Harvard Business Review did some research and they found out that 40 to 60% of the strategy potential is lost on average in an organization. 40 to 60% fallout, yeah. all that brain power creating the plan and then it not going into play? Yeah, it's a little bit like, yeah, like the Belgian soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> on paper, we already won, but uh, in reality, there is something that can always goes wrong. That's really interesting because what that means is that you have massive business risk. Exactly. And it also is important that companies realize that instead of trying to improve things that have been improving already a lot over the last years, it's basically strategy execution as a competitive advantage. Absolutely, because the competitors are running fast and new organizations are popping up that don't have the baggage of the old organizations, so they can move very quickly and the execution of their strategy is 100% in front of their face versus the new strategy execution of older, more mature companies may be hindered by the fact they actually are making enough money right now to not worry about it. True. And London Business School, for example, did some research and they found out that successful companies start to worry too late about the future. Ooh, that's a really important concept for our listener to get. Yeah. Successful companies worry too late about the future. Yeah. So listener, if this is you, take note. It's important for you to do this. How do we make sure we execute 90, 95% of the strategy instead of just letting half of it or more bleed away? Well, the first step, Mark, is that you figure out where you lose performance. I used to be a strategy consultant, and the first thing we would do is find data. And when I got interested in strategy execution, my first reaction was, let's find some data. And to my big surprise, every organization measures sales, they measure marketing, they even know how much money they spend on paperclips. Amazingly. Yeah. But if you ask them, how well do you execute strategy? Give me some data. It's like a big black box. So the first thing that you need to do is to actually measure where the biggest holes are in your organization. Do you lose it during the cascading exercise? Is it because you have poor communication? Is it because your culture doesn't fit? Is it because you don't have the right tools to execute? Is it related to the skills of your people? There are eight muscle groups that you need to get to 100%. And the question is, which of your muscle groups are the least developed today? It's like going to the fitness. You first want to do a fitness test to see where you stand. And then the next one is to identify, okay, what are now, let's say the two or three weakest muscle groups. And then you start a specific training program to develop those. What you don't want to do is tackle everything at the same time. It's impossible. Too much change. If it's, for example, strategy communication, how well does your company communicate strategy? I have a very simple test where I would like make a short YouTube video 
where the CEO gets uh, 30 seconds to explain the strategy. And then I would randomly run around in the organization and ask 30 people the same question and turn that into a short video. If you show that video to the board and everybody is like nodding and saying, yeah, this is great. You do very well in strategy communication. But if people turn red or white when looking at the video, then you know you have a big issue. So you're on what percentage of the people are turning red and white when you do this? Well, it really depends on uh, the organization. There are some companies that are really good in, in communicating strategy where even the, the cleaning lady can point out the key messages. And there are other companies where you have VPs giving a completely different message that when you see the video, you don't believe they work in the same company. How tied is that? communication to the culture of the organization? I think it's separate. I think one muscle group is communication. Most people think that repetition is the great trick to communicate, but it's actually not. The key thing is emotion. So most communication is done through PowerPoints, but that doesn't really touch the heart of the individual. No, it's hard to touch the heart when you're using bullets. Yes. So marketeers is something we need to become much more. Uh, We need to think about our PowerPoint not so much as uh, something that needs to be transfixed from one head to the other, but uh, what is the emotion that you want to touch upon? So, What you're dancing around is simply this. What's the story? Yes. Because as marketeers, what we do is tell stories. And the way that we get to the heart is we tell stories. And the way we've communicated emotion since the beginning of time as we sat around campfires, gnawing on bones, we told stories. Yes. So it's figuring out what's the key story you want to tell. So imagine you don't get a PowerPoint. What's the story you want everybody to tell at the kitchen table to their partners about the organization and where the organization is going? That's great. We'll be back with more after this. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Download and share the internal consulting group's monthly executive magazine, The Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com slash publications. Let's talk a little more about these eight muscle groups that you've talked about. So you've talked about uh, what's the messaging and how good are you communicating? You've talked about how our culture is impacted by that. What other elements do we need to consider? Keep your eye on the ball. Most organizations develop a strategy, but then opportunity comes by and everything is forgotten. One of the things that I challenge uh, senior leaders with is what are the five things your company is not going to do in the next year? I love it. I absolutely agree with you. Every executive must have a we don't do this list, the not to do list. You see that as part of a critical aspect of strategy execution. Really good. Yeah. So I think that's an important one. Another one important in focus is that you need to define what success looks like. Strategy is like a new sport that you invent, but if nobody knows what winning looks like, it's going to be very hard to motivate people. Success needs to be tangible. For example, me as a professional speaker, when I started out, my finish line became, I want to speak to 50,000 people in 50 countries by the time I turned 50. And where are you on that checklist? I'm around 34,000 people 
that I've reached out to on stage. I was in Ecuador last week. That was country number 43, and I turned 46 this year. Congratulations. You are well so. on track. So <laughs> since we're comparing notes just for fun, I've been paid to work in 54 countries, but I'm also a little older than you are. So my friend, you are well on your path. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. What's the next muscle group? Next muscle group is to cascade your strategy successfully. The main instrument there that people will know is the balance scorecard. So it's a mature process. The only thing there is that people focus too much on measuring. Measuring alone is very dangerous if you don't have very clear goals. So in cascading, it's very important to really translate your overall finish line and strategy to something that people can actually touch. So strategy cascading is also one of the muscle groups. I like it. So let me reframe this from my viewpoint, which is you must measure what you wish to manage. But on the other side, you must manage what you measure. Otherwise, the measurement's useless or even counterproductive. True. Nothing as bad as trying to optimize something that you don't need. (laughs) Yeah. Listener, make sure that you got that one nailed down. Are we optimizing something we don't need? Because that stands square in the way of execution success. Because somebody may be focused completely on implementing something that sucks up a lot of resources that's pulling it away from executing the next strategy. That's a brilliant insight. Yeah. So when you look at organizations, there's pretty much 30 to 40 percent of the things they're doing they actually don't need in the next uh, three years. So it's basically... You mean like counting the paper clips? Counting the paper clips, but it could also be a very large project that was key to get the previous strategy running, but for the new strategy, it doesn't really matter anymore. Ah, yes. You have to kill our old darlings. Exactly. I like it. All right, what's the next muscle that we need to work on? I think what are we, we're up at five now. Yeah. The next one is to have the right strategy execution tools in place. What you see is because it's a new business domain, most of us have a general feeling about what is culture, what is strategy communication. But if you then ask people, okay, what is the best practice and how do you actually communicate strategy in a professional way or how do you change culture in a professional way, you see most organizations don't have a toolkit to get things done. As you say that, I'm trying to imagine what tools might be in that toolkit. So what would you put into a toolbox for somebody that needed to execute a strategy? One would be the balanced scorecard to see how well we're doing. Does that be like the speedometer? Yeah, and one tool, for example, in strategy communication is how you define the right emotional story. There are lots of techniques to do storytelling and to come up with a story. So that's something that needs to be in your toolbox. Another element, for example, is to clarify small decisions. What you see in strategy execution is is helping people making small decisions in line with the big choice and your strategy. And what you very often see is that those small decisions are not structured. People just do something. It's very helpful instead of saying our organization wants to focus on quality and cost reduction. Okay, but what does that actually mean for somebody working in IT? Exactly. Quality is undefined. Exactly. And cost reduction, well, it sounds like it's something. Do we want to save a penny, a dollar, a million dollars? And where do we want to save that money? You're absolutely right. All those things have to have much more granular definition. Yeah. 
There are a lot of cool exercises that I also describe in my book that you can use to detail small decisions. And that's an important element to have in your toolbox, for example. Another example is if you want to influence culture, you basically have to look at behavior. So there is a very useful exercise where you're going to identify what are now the two behaviors in our company that are holding us back and what are the two behaviors that are missing and how can we implement them. Making tangible. Yeah, I can hear our listener right now scribbling away furiously taking these notes. And a few of them going, yep, it's time for us to do that. Really good. What other muscles do we have left that we need to check in on? The final one is performance pay. It's an element that is important in many organizations, but we don't always understand how it works with motivation. Just to give you an example, research shows that people are motivated more by seeing bad behavior punished than by getting more money. Wow. That's really fascinating. Where does that research come from? Oh, well, there are several studies that have looked at uh, this particular point in the way how motivational works. And it's basically like a stream in psychology that looks at happiness and how people are influenced by the things that happen around them. But it also challenges executives because if you now look at most organizations, everybody is focusing on the talents and uh, the top performers. But actually, if you want to motivate those people, what you actually should do is come up with an approach on what you're going to do with the low performers. Interesting. What that implies to me is we have a society that relishes schadenfreude. We like to see the bad guys get their punishment. That's really fascinating. And yet it's been politically incorrect to publicly shame people or to punish people. A lot of that's been actually removed from our society through the way that we've been raising our children, this concept of participation rewards. Even the last person gets a ribbon. Yeah, my message here is not that you should punish people as a leader, but the goal is basically with the team, agree on what are the set of rules that we want to adapt as a team. I'll give you an example. When you all agree as a team that you will start and stop a meeting on time, You have to agree with each other. What are we going to do when somebody arrives late? Mm -hmm. That particular dynamic that will have much more impact on group dynamic than, for example, thanking people that arrive on time. Ooh, interesting. We have to have both the carrot and the stick. Yeah, but you only need it at team level. On an individual level, the best approach remains coaching. I'm a big advocate of performance coaching, so I wouldn't change that. But I think the way how we look at teams... We need to be a little bit more daring and to have a discussion with the team to say, well, is this behavior we have as a team useful for getting us to the finish line or is this actually holding us back? And we have to dare to take decisions when somebody doesn't follow the, the rules everybody agreed upon, they shouldn't stay in the team. And that's actually motivating the people that remain in the team. Interesting. That implies that our cultural manifestos are missing half of the culture. Most of our cultural manifestos talk about what we stand for. And what you're suggesting is we also have to include what we won't stand for. That's really interesting. Well, I think it'd be way more interesting if professional sports, the losing team, didn't get paid. Yeah, sure. Could be. (laughs) Aren't professional sports players paid to win? No, they're just paid to play. (laughs) Anyway, I think this has been a fantastic conversation about the elements of execution. You've really brought a lot of interesting ideas to bear. Would you be willing to share with us the execution shortcut, or do we have to go buy the book? 
Sure, I could give you some of the highlights that are in the book. Uh, <laughs> Compared to the muscle groups with the shortcuts, I basically look at human behavior that is holding strategy back. I call them the bad guys, and some of them are very visible in an organization, and others are more like those sneaky ninjas that uh, throw stars at you when you don't see them. One example, mitigated speech is a bad guy they found in the cockpit of an airline. When the American Aviation Association researched the airline crashes in the 70s, they found to their big surprise that 70% of all the airline crashes are related to this bad guy. So it's not related to mechanical failure, it's not related to a mistake, but it's basically related to the fact that people don't dare to challenge authority. Yeah, mitigated speech, that's really interesting. The fear of speaking up even though that co-pilot knew they were going to die. Exactly. That is some serious programming. Yeah. Another one is, for example, the Pygmalion effect. Yes. It's a very important leadership effect where what you think about the performance of an individual will actually become true. Confirmation bias. Yeah. So from an executive leadership standpoint, which this means, you've got to allow people to bring you bad news without killing them. And you also have to be very careful about how you view a person. Interesting. Yeah. And what you see in a lot of organizations is that if you compare it with sports, one coach could have a conflict with a certain player, but that doesn't mean that player is a low performer. It just means that there is no chemistry and that that player should move to another team, which happens in sports. Indeed it does. However, in most organizations, once you're labeled as a low performer, you stay a low performer because people don't move around enough in organizations. So we should look at performance quite differently and be very careful about the labels that we hand out to people. Interesting. Lots of great ideas on today's show. How do people get a hold of you? Where do they find your books? The books can be found in the bookstore or uh, maybe easiest on uh, Amazon.com. And if people want to get a hold of me, the easiest is to go to my website, which is my name. So that's uh, easy to find. I have a weekly blog with about 40,000 subscribers where each week we tackle one of the important elements of strategy execution in a pragmatic format that uh, might also be interesting for the listeners today to keep informed about everything that's happening in this field. Great. And of course, you can also be contacted through the internal consulting group. True. Thanks so much for being a great guest. Any parting words for our listener? I hope I've inspired you to uh, dig into this new field, strategy execution. I hope it will uh, help you to close the 40 to 60% strategy gap that happens to be the case in a lot of organizations. That wraps up this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.